broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire. Welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stomp. Stomp, can you hear us? <laughs> All right. I can hear you. Yeah, I'm on the red, but okay. just keep Episode on rolling. 62 stomp. We can now collect Social Security. Not the full amount, but we can we can collect now. We can file for it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it should be uh, just enough to pay for yeah. a mile of gas. Yeah, exactly. I know. I just filled up today, and it was um, it was five dollars a gallon, and it cost me. Okay, I get like a was like. A, to fill up, so it's not great. And that's Amesbury. That is, yeah. Not to to dox your location or anything. It's okay. It's okay. I am in the Seacoast region, although I try to get my... uh, I do do always call out that I do spend a lot of time up in Brownfield, Maine, so I have a little bit of North North Country credit. (laughs) Get some cover. Um, So, Stomp, one thing, I have a correction from the last show. So when we were talking about... um, uh, the hiking buddies had been on, and I had said Lindsay instead. It's Haley. Haley is on the. She's out on okay. the Appalachian Trail, and I got her name wrong. Which, in my defense, if you have a daughter that's like of the high school age, like almost every one of their friends is going to be named Haley, Lindsay, or Sophia at this point. So I just got them all crossed up. <laughs> so it's yeah, understandable. Exactly. Especially with this later later age that you're struggling yeah. with, you know. Um, Stomp, I yeah. think I would... Senility, yeah, I guess. I listened to last week's show, and <laughs> one of the things that I sort of stood out to me is that I don't know if we necessarily gave... And again, Stephen Larson for Lodge to Dodge did an awesome job. You did an awesome job, Stomp. But I feel like we underplayed Larson a little bit around, like given him the props that he deserves. I know we're going to have him back on, but I did want to give him just another shout out about completing that because it's just an amazing accomplishment. But he also, his his New Hampshire Chronicle show dropped this week, right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, we sent out the link to everybody so they can see it. And I was blown away. That was a great piece, the way that Chronicle worked with the drone footage and like incredible, great. Yeah, yeah, and the thing that struck me too is how similar the the physical. I guess it was a little less time, and he had the benefit of sort of knowing where he was going on Monadnock a little better than than Lodge to Dodge. But like the the amount of distance that he had, the amount of elevation gain was similar to Lodge to Dodge. I think it was a little bit easier on the whole. We'll have to talk to him about it. But I just found the the um. You know, the whole story inspiring, and I think we didn't dive into this too much, but I definitely want to dive into sort of his background and his overcoming addiction because it's really inspiring on top of the the physical accomplishments that he's done. I agree. Yeah, I mean, last episode I held back because I wanted to save everything that Steve and Larson had to say for when they come back. And for me, it really was just a focus of Steve Mason being the driver to make this even happen. So no offense to Larson whatsoever. Absolutely epic. And we're going to shine a light on him like you wouldn't believe. Um, But yeah, like again, 
thank you, Steve Mason, because this would not have happened without Steve. So, um, but Larson is uh, an absolute beast, and I think his future is just starting to show up now. This kid's got a, a huge future ahead of him for ultra running and just crushing these monstrous tasks. Yeah, there's something always interesting to me about, like, I've never had to, I mean, I've had family, obviously, that have dealt with this, but I've never had to deal with addiction or, you know, really being completely rock bottom. And that's the thing that's most interesting to me is that, like, Larson's life, so that he hit rock bottom, overcame addiction, and now he's sort of replaced that with, with the passion for outdoor adventures and, and athletic and uh, endeavors. So it's, it's really interesting to see somebody turn their life around like that. Yeah, inspiring. I didn't know those details either. Um, was that in the Chronicle piece? Yeah, yeah, so he talked okay. about it. Gotcha, because I was coming back from my Chikora <laughs> adventure, so I, I think I skimmed the video, but I made sure I posted it for everybody like you to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I definitely checked it out, so it was good. Yeah, so we might as well get into this. So you had the Chikora race, and you had everything set up there for the uh, the music, right? Exactly. Yeah, when you're set up there, like, do you use a generator, or like, what do you use for battery? You just keep the car running and plug it in, or what, how does that all work? No, uh, Rock Hopper slash White Mountain Endurance Races, they have their own generators. There was a gas generator backup uh, if you needed it, but they worked off of... Um, what do they call it? I forget the name of the generator. A Jackery, I believe it was. This thing was amazing. It powered my amplifier plus my mixer for nine hours straight. So when I started mixing, it was like 99% full. End of the day, 50, 50% somewhere in that ballpark is incredible. Yeah, and I've seen these Jackeries. I see more and more of these uh, because I do follow some um, homesteaders yeah on um on youtube and etc and a lot of them are talking about this jackery product here so i think it's like you can charge it through solar and then it will um you know i guess it's a really effective way to to get power when you're not close to anything um Mm -hmm. but how was the race can you give us an update like what happened you so for the audience's sake stomp went to the Chikora race that was run by Rockhopper, now White Mountain Endurance Races, and he was there to do the entertainment. Um, I couldn't make it, unfortunately. I had, I, I'm had i in the middle of like high school graduation season, so I'm sort of locked down for the next couple of weeks. But when you, what time did you get there, Stomp, and how big was the crowd? <laughs> I was up super early, uh, packed up all my stuff, heading down 49, Waterville. It's like an hour commute over to uh, Tamworth from Thornton. And 10 minutes down the road, I realized I forgot my my stand that holds my mixer. So I had to head back. Total nightmare. But I got there like around 7 a.m. And uh, the place was rocking. And I know, Mike, you're going to love this. You know you're at a race when you pull up and you see a queue of about like 400 people in line for the toilets. So I knew I was in the right place. It was like yes. everybody had the pre-race jitters and they were all lined up. <laughs> so like, oh, oh, this is the place. It was great. Um, you know, set up my stuff. Um, Christina and Rem, they were absolutely fantastic. This is a really solid, tight-knit community. Unlike the, uh, you know, what we're familiar with, the Mount Washington. 
it seems to be a little less national, international, and more local. And the runners there were just so supportive and top of their game. I mean, the, the top runner came in at, you know, two hours plus or minus a few minutes. And uh, you're talking like a 15-mile track up and down Chakora. So it was very impressive. The weather was overcast and drizzly for most of the morning, but that meant superior undercast when you got up to the summit. So it was just a beautiful day for the runners. You know, I was there until about four o'clock. I think the last runners came in around four-ish, just early of four. And, um, you know, the last three runners, the third was an 80-year-old that ran it with sandals on. So it was amazing. Um, Very impressive. Yeah, it was so great. Such a great day. Uh, Super, super cool day. That's fantastic. I'm bummed out that I missed it. But uh, Tim or Doug, do you guys, do you, either, one, either one of you guys do any sort of mountain races or running? Uh, no, Doug is a runner. I ran the WAPAC uh, race, but God, that was a long time ago now. <laughs> so you're a retired runner then? I did it once to realize that was enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I've only done this Jacora race one time, and it's like it's a it's a it's a more difficult course right now. And I was sort of kicking around the idea of doing it. I couldn't have done it because of commitments, but it's it's a brutal race, it, it really hard. Yeah, that's why I stopped. <laughs> I was so impressed. These people were just like committed, and they they nailed it, and they came in looking pretty fresh i mean the weather was coolish so i think that helped it was less humid than the week before um fantastic yeah great turnout it was a lot of fun it's like very you know in terms of the music side of it just if in case anybody's wondering um it's, it's challenging catering to a crowd that's in their 20s all the way up to their 80s so i looking back on it now i realized that Earlier in the day, you can play the dance stuff and the early, you know, the 21 pilots or whatever it may be earlier in the day. But as the day progresses, you want to shift it to the early, the later stuff uh, that the older folks may recognize. So it was fun in that respect for myself. You know, it was super cool trying to play to that wide of an audience, like, holy moly. And we had several listeners come up and uh, it was super cool. Like there was at least... A dozen people that came up and said, hey, listening to the podcast, it was fantastic. You know, great fan, binging it now. It's like, wow. <laughs> great. Well, it was fun. Well, rescue season's starting up, so I don't think you're going to have much time to do any of these these adventures um, in the next couple of weeks here, Stomp. So I'm glad that you had a couple, good couple of weeks, but it's time to get back on the mountains and save some people. <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's been a couple of weeks. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so you had put a note in here about a rabbit hiking. Is this the rabbit that um, our friend Bree hikes with, or is this a different rabbit? Uh, I don't even know. Somebody just sent me the link, and it's a rabbit. I know we've had cats, a.k.a. Floki, and now we have a rabbit that's attempting the 48, so... We will keep you posted on the latest on this rabbit. Yeah, well, I, I can't get into a lot of detail about who this friend is or where they're located. But Oh, you I, know this person? No, no, no. So I have another animal um, thing that I'm trying to put together is I have a friend <laughs> who has access to goats. 
So, so this can be a goat on trial. Again, I don't I don't want to give yeah, I don't want to give too much detail, but they have a significant number of goats living in their backyard now. And they're not they don't live in a farm, but they've obtained these goats as a part of a um the goats needed some place to live. So they've obtained these goats. And I said to my friend, <laughs> I he goes hiking with me occasionally. And I was like, and he's like, I want to go hiking. Matter of fact, we may go hiking on Friday. I was like, we're, ta- we're taking one of the goats. And he, he said, no, we can't take the goat. And I said, we need to take one of these goats. I said, the goats need to be on the mountain. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to him this week to see if it's possible to see if we can take a goat. Um, you probably have to leash it. I would assume so, right? <laughs> I would think so. Yeah. So At the very least. Is there any rules about like taking a goat on a mountain? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. But I'm sure there are. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to make it happen um, this week. So I, I was talking to him a couple of weeks about it, but I, I want to see if we can get like maybe a harness. We could put a harness on the goat. You could make a sling, like a goat sling, like a you know pack a paw, but for a goat potentially. Just but, slack it on your back. Yeah. So we'll see. I'll keep you updated if if I can get that going. I'm I'm gonna try. But anyway, we got bunnies. We've got. Um, a ton of dogs out there and then we've got cats as well in the mountains so if i can make yeah. if i can add a goat i'll add a goat <laughs> go so, for it right. hey, um, listen um i have a couple things here before we move on okay uh jody bevan wants to know when the soap and beer episode is airing i haven't gone to that place yet i need to go there <laughs> well there's listener interest so just so you know I don't know if it'll fill up a whole episode. <laughs> so Tim and Doug, what he's talking about is there is a there's a place in um I, it's in Winnipesaukee somewhere that sells soap and beer, so you can get both soap and beer. Um, so and I've been saying I want to go there, but Stomp that I have an update for you. It's New Hampshire. You can get soap and beer at the grocery store. Yeah, exactly. But this is like, <laughs> but this is the specialty soap that you can get at like um. It's like the special soap that you can get at Zeb's or whatever. That I guess it's better than the grocery store stuff. Okay, <laughs> that costs a lot more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> too funny. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, before we move on here, I I dug up my list, Mike. Before we uh, get into the the show summary here, the people I ran into, we I met Bree Scott Addy. Uh, Alex Folsom and Alex at the end of the day was super cool. He brought over a sight and sound double IPA for me to enjoy as I packed up my stuff. So thank you, Alex. Uh, Offhandedly, Michael from Burgeon Outdoor Brand of Lincoln was at the summit and he was not at the race, but he was watching as were other people that were up there at the time. They were watching the runners come up to tag the summit. And the videos are super cool. If anybody's familiar with Chikora, I mean, that's like a, a 10-foot diameter wide summit. So it's very cool. And, uh, you know, it's just a great weekend. So thanks to everybody. And, um, you know, glad to plug Burgeon. You guys are doing a great job in Lincoln. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what it was like when I did the race and like just getting to the summit and then turning around, I think there's enough room to sort of bypass each other on that like little like um, chimney as you come down Chikora. So it wasn't that bad. Yeah. Like I remember going up yeah. and I was like the only one on the summit 
and then coming down. And I was probably like, I don't know, middle of the pack at that point. So it wasn't too crazy, but I could imagine that like if you get people clustered together, like it could be a little crazy coming up and down that little chimney there. Absolutely. Yeah, no question. Yeah. Um, so Stomp, I get some merchandise updates. So I will have um, options for Woo-hoo. hats. I'll have all, so we will be putting up like a link so you can buy hats um, and t-shirts. And then I will also be putting out a post for stickers and we'll be giving the stickers away for free. So um, basically anybody that wants a sticker, I'll have a link in conjunction with the show coming out on Friday where you can um, just fill out a Google form name address and then just send me a venmo with like how much is a stamp stomp 29 cents now i didn't even know how much a stamp is <laughs> i think it's 500 us dollars or maybe yeah. a thousand rubles at this point <laughs> yeah 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 it's 500 us dollars but anyway whatever a stamp costs i'll do some research on that i think it's last i remember it was 29 cents but it may be something different anyway yeah. you venmo me the, the the cost of the stamp and i will give you a so it's it, it's basically like the cost of a stamp for you to get a sticker if you want one so and i'll have um a ton of them so if you want multiple stickers just um let me know within reason and i'll, I'll get them out so okay on facebook or instagram i'll have it on facebook and i'll send you the details on instagram as well okay because we love redundancy at Slash. We're going to start a retail store and we're going to take on <laughs> Eastern Mountain Sports. And, um, <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Okay. So, um, sponsor and Coffee Talk Stomp. We have a donation by James Landoli, donated two coffees. And then Britt H. donated 10, which is. That's a heck of a donation. So, uh, Britt comes with high praise for the podcast and uh, just enjoys what we're doing. And thank you very much for the support. And of course, we have our weekly plug for Reckless Brewing. And uh, I think Steve at Steve Reckless Steven is somewhere in the UK at the moment. And he's probably lost and in need of a search and rescue, but uh, he's too far out for us to get him. But, uh, He'll be back to tell us about his uh, honeymoon adventures over in the UK. I know he's been tapping into some of the UK brews over there, so that should be fun to listen about. But uh, thank you at Reckless, uh, where you'll enjoy the best food, craft beer, and fun. 15 minutes from Franconia Notch, many 4K footers, and less than 10 minutes from the Five Corners. Yeah. Do you know, Stomp, I learned something this week that I never knew. Talking about Steve being in the UK... Yeah. Um, so this week has been the, I think it's some sort of a jubilee. It's like 70 years that the queen has been on the throne. And yeah. I did not know this, but I um, found out that she uses um, like hand signals on her. So she carries like a purse when she's out in public. Okay. And then she has this system where like if she moves the purse from one hand to another, then that's a signal for her handlers to like. So basically, like if she was talking to you and she had the person a right hand and then she moved it to the left hand, that would mean like get this person away from me. And then they would yeah. come grab you and say like, okay, the queen has to James go, Bond whatever. Moment. Exactly, yeah. And then it would be like if she puts the purse behind her back, there's some other signal and there's all kinds of different signals that she uses. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's Mr. So. Bean, James Bond. Uh, Monty Python, who else would show up? I don't know. 
<laughs> it's yeah. like Doctor Who. Doctor Who would show up. Yes, exactly. So now you know some information that uh, is pretty much useless for you, but I found it interesting. So, uh, again, welcome to episode 62 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week we are joined by, this is big time, We're, we got Eastern Mountain Sports here. This is yeah. like the most, this is the biggest um, episode we've ever done, I think. Um so we, we're joined by Co, um, Eastern Mountain Sports, Go East writers, Tim Peck and Doug Martlin. So Tim and Doug um, have written a bunch of articles about White Mountain history, gear, abandoned trails, um, and all kinds of other interesting topics. So we're going to do a, a dive into a number of these subjects, um, including a deep dive on the abandoned section of the Crawford Path, which I'm very interested in. And then later in the show, we'll cover hmm. some recent search and rescue news and then uh, Stomp, I'm going to ask you to give a breakdown on one of your favorite abandoned trails. So uh, sure. I don't think I prepped you for this, but we'll, we'll talk about it later. But uh, I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Very good. Very good. So <laughs> Tim and Doug, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having us. Great. Well, you so bet. Um, we typically, yeah, and we typically start off with some beer talk. So I don't know if you guys are drinking tonight. I've got a beer. I don't know. Always. You got, oh, yeah. What are you drinking, Tim? Uh, yeah, I got a Feathered Friends, uh, Everybody Love Everybody, double IPA, Delicious, and Concord right off X11 or 12, I don't know, hmm. maybe both. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. What do you got, Doug? Anything? Not currently, but uh, I might send a text downstairs <laughs> and have one of the kids run something up. <laughs> <laughs> the kid commute. That's great. Bring it right up. That's exactly. awesome. So we've established Doug is the responsible one. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Was he the editor for your articles? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, boy. I got nothing. Sorry, Mike. But um, again, I, I was just... I mentioned that that brew that uh, A. Folsom gave to me at the end of the uh, the event, so that was super, super cool. I'm becoming a double IPA fan. I Again, IPAs just... I, they just don't taste great, but the doubles, yeah, something there to investigate. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, I'm I'm drinking a summer break IPA from Sierra Nevada. So I, I sent my wife to get some beer, and this is she came back with this, which is it's good, it's okay, but it's like a I think it's more like a mass market IPA or something. So by Sierra, where what uh, where is it brewed? Out west. I'm assuming Sierra Nevada brewing. I don't know where it is. I think she got this at like a, a at like Costco or BJ's wholesale or something. So, huh? Okay, sounds good. Yeah, it's not bad. I got my reckless up in Maine, so I'm looking forward to getting back up there and cracking those open. Yeah, oh, reckless, so good. Yeah. So um, typically we'll do recent hikes here, um, stomp. But I haven't been anywhere. I've been locked down with graduation. How about yourself? <laughs> I've been just spinning at ultra races, so <laughs> got zero. Like every moment I have has been tied up the last few weeks, but I have something that I'm going to reveal based upon your little segue here for lost trails and whatnot. So I have some news. Super cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Huh. And then um notable listener hikes. You got anything for us, Tom? Yeah, let's see what we have. We have a few. The first one comes in from Run Cast Run. Um, she hiked up to Franconia Ridge and over to Greenleaf Hut 
for an overnight with a bunch of students that she uh, works with. So she grabbed Lincoln, Mount Lafayette for 28 and 29 out of 48 for the 4,000 footers. So they were socked in, had great views, but super cool that uh, you have somebody taking out the young ones out there for an adventure. Number two, we have, I want to say Saruman, but this is Saruman, like S-A-U-M-A-N-N-7. Salman 7, funky clouds on moose. So this is a picture that looked almost like a uh, like a mushroom cloud. Um, I believe it was Sunday morning too, if I remember correctly. For number three, we have Hiker IVT 207. And this is beers on the Garfield Ridge Trail. <laughs> so, so we get tagged in a post of somebody drinking a beer as they're traversing the Garfield Ridge Trail. So... They need two hands for that trail. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's one way to get through that trail, but uh, certainly be careful and uh, Slash is not endorsing that. (laughs) Maybe post-trail? I don't know. (laughs) So you have three to choose from, Mike. What's it going to be? We'll do the beer on Garfield. Yeah. Really? The the, the beer on Garfield, yeah. Why not? Holy moly, wow. Feeling a little reckless there. All right, let's hear the reasoning. I just, I, I'm just thinking. I, I was actually going to include this in this week's show, but I forgot about <laughs> it. But now I'm, I'm going to talk about it. But um, beer has been on my mind because I found a new list. So we've got the four thousand footer list. We've got fifty two with a view, terrifying twenty fives. <laughs> we've got the the redlining trace. We got all that stuff. There's a new list out there which is called the Summit Beer List, and I got. I'm actually going to reach out to this guy because he's got a group on Facebook with like five hundred people, and That's I don't cool. know the exact rules, but what it seems like is that you have to um, take a photo on a summit with a beer on 25 peaks. And I don't think it matters. I think you can do them anywhere. But as 25. long as you send in a photo of 25 summit beers, then you can get a patch. So uh, it's a new list. So that's why I'm thinking. Oh, my God. That's funny. Is the patch like the, the go-to for prizes? Like we have to make this a little more interesting. When I found out about it, I, I went through my my photos to see how many, because I do have some photo, like some Summit photos with beer on it. So I'm, I'm probably already at like five or six on the list right now. Good for you. It's yeah. awesome. So I'll put that in the show links. Super cool. Yeah, I'm curious. It's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, let's get into our main segment here to welcome um, Tim and Doug. Um, so I'd say, Doug, I think I have you in my notes here. Do you want to uh, introduce yourself and maybe talk sort of a little bit about your background and your early experience with outdoor activities and how, how you got into the, the world of um, sort of outdoor adventures here? Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm Doug Martland. I am uh, from Milton, Massachusetts. Uh, I got into uh, sort of backpacking and outdoor activities at a pretty young age uh, with my family. Uh, we did a fair amount of our summer vacations would be oriented around either national parks or uh, things like that. And uh, while we were there, we would do an awful lot of hiking, uh, which you know, I really enjoyed and everybody in the family seemed to, uh, 
enjoy as well. Um, in terms of EMS, I started there uh, in 2001 on a part-time basis. Uh, and when I started there, I found this great community of people all around my age that shared all these common interests in hiking, climbing, which I was just getting into at the time, uh, kayaking, which I was really into uh, back in the early 2000s. Uh, and that, that it just really found this group of friends for, you know, the rest of my life. That's awesome. And then, um, so you, when you worked at EMS, it was working in the retail side of things. So for the first uh, six or seven years, I worked on the retail side of things in 2008 ish. I switched over to the climbing school. And I've been there on a part guiding on a part time basis ever since, as well as doing this go east uh, writing. Okay. okay. And the the guide work that you do is it limited to the New England area, or do you go all over the country or all over the world? Uh, it's limited to for me to two regions. One is sort of the greater Boston region. I do a fair amount of rock climbing uh, lessons down here, and then also the North Conway region in the primarily in the winter for me uh so my washington ascents ice climbing things like that got it and then as far as um eastern mountain sports so i it's i remember so i'm a north shore massachusetts guy and i remember in high school so this would have been or maybe it was college like in the 90s going to my first eastern mountain sports and i remember walking in and it was very much like they're selling stuff that like you would use to climb Mount Everest and like who's doing who's using all this equipment. And I remember like really being impressed with it. And it was, I remember it was downstairs. Stomp, you you might have gone to the stores at the North Shore Mall in Danvers. Yeah. You go downstairs yeah. and it was Absolutely. like this awesome new store. I used to go in there all the time. Um, yeah. But I felt like that the store had been around for longer than like just the mid '90s. Like, what's the history of Eastern Mountain Sports? Sure. So, Eastern Mountain Sports opened in 1967 uh, as one store in Wellesley. The next year, they opened sort of what what was the flagship store for the company for a long time on Commonwealth Ave uh, in Boston, and that's you know hearkening back to your memory of the Danvers store, that's one of the two stores that I remember as like a young adult going into Boston on the Commonwealth Ave store and just being overwhelmed with the amount of gear and staring at at the wall on it at the wall, just going, what is all this stuff for? And how do I learn how to use it? Um, for, so for me, it was the Comav store and also the yeah. Dedham store, uh, which was pretty close to my house. And I went there an awful lot as a, you know, teenager. Anecdotally, I remember buying my first pair of boots at that Danvers store. Um, I believe they may have been a solos, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. But I do remember that the staff were not in your face and they were just passive, but they made themselves present initially. Then they left you on your own and they were there if you needed them, which was super cool. You know, it's like none of us enjoy getting overpressured at these stores. So hats off. 
Oh, Stomp, I remember going in there with my friend and like looking at, uh, I think they had the, the expensive kayaks back then. I definitely remember that. And then they would have like tents set up. And I remember we would all go in yeah. there and there was a record store across from it. Across the way. Um, and, and you could I would get all your Star the, Wars stuff and like yeah, little yeah. Star Wars figures and <laughs> exactly. And I would be in the EMS and all my friends would be over in the record store and I would be like, "Yeah, you guys can go do that." So I guess it was an, at an early age, but um, that's great. So Doug, at some point you so you transitioned from the retail side to climbing, and then what's when did Go East and the writing piece of it start for you? So for me, Go East started in about the spring of 2017 i think it had been going maybe a couple years by then tim tim would have a better time sense on that but uh you know around that time is when tim and i partnered up on writing articles and we've been been going strong for about five years now um just working together on all these pieces got it and go east for the audience um how would you describe it and Tim if you want to describe it like it's it's basically like the knowledge base in the sort of the advice and in sort of interest articles around hiking and outdoor that's that's tied to EMS right yeah if I'm going to date myself it's like a it's a it's their blog you yeah know? <laughs> but it, you know it encompasses it encompasses a lot and um it's growing you know it's changing as it's you know people change and interests change um but yeah, it's there's how tos, there's trips you should do. They've let Doug and I write some opinion stuff, which is always dangerous. Yeah, it is. <laughs> sure is. That's what uh, podcasts are for. Yeah. <laughs> Even I don't get into too much opinion stuff. But um, and, and Doug, how do you guys go about um, identifying the topics? Is it you know? Do you get told like you need to write about X, Y, and Z, or do you and Tim just sort of get together and? make it make the topic list happen organically uh, so each month our the editor of go east sends out a you know a list of suggested topics uh in the end of his email always you know ends something like and you guys ha- will have better ideas than me um and so it's a bit of a a process for us tim and i exchange i don't know a, a fair number of texts or emails about what we want to write about and what we're excited to write about, some of which will be off the the list and some of which we'll come up with on our own. Um, and it, it varies month to month, uh, depending, you know, on what we're doing or what the sort of the focus is for the month, things like that. I, I was going to say, if you ever like just looked at our author page, it's almost just like, a, it just tells like what we are psyched on. You know, because there'll be like a big block of climbing, you know, it's like, oh, we're like really psyched on climbing. Or then there's like a big block of mountain biking. It's like, oh, I drive my bike a lot. Yeah, exactly. I noticed that. And then one of you guys has a dog because I've seen the dog articles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. During the pandemic, I was like really psyched on hiking with my dog. So there's a lot of dog articles. Yeah, exactly. Now, Tim, have you, did you, you worked on the retail side as well and then, and then transitioned into guide and, and writing? I, I, uh, I worked, yeah, I managed it, or some form of management on the retail side of EMS for like a decade. So, uh, in a bunch of stores through Massachusetts. Um, and then I was a copywriter for a year in Peterborough. 
Uh, and then they moved their corporate office to Connecticut and I didn't go. <laughs> so I actually hung out and I worked, I worked part time in the store again in Peterborough for like four years. And, uh, when the pandemic came around, I just pulled the plug and, uh, and I really what happened was I got used to not having to go into a retail store. Yeah. And when it, when it opened back up, I was like, you know, I kind of like all this extra time I have. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> now, um, from the transition when you guys started working in the early 2000s, obviously with the growth of the internet and online shopping, things are difficult. But I feel like in the, you know hiking backpacking world like i do like to go into a retail store to sort of check out and and check out the gear try it on you know see what see what new trends are on there and i don't necessarily always get that from just browsing online i think people really i think people really like touching and feeling it's it's hard to 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 just you know get an image of something online. I worked, you know, in a store for 15 years. Like if anyone would have an idea of what something would look like or feel like off an internet image, it should be me, but I'm still driving down to my local EMS like once every other week. Cause I want to put my hands on something or, <laughs> you know, just, you guys want to hold it before I buy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't know how much insight you have in this, but I wonder is it an age thing? Like, are people our age, like, we're just sort of used to being in stores? And, like, is that going to go away with the younger generation? Or do does EMS still see a lot of young people coming into the stores? Uh, I think I think a lot of people still go in the stores. I think there's just stuff that, you know, you want to try on. I, you know, I was at, at the climbing gym the other day, and I saw a bunch of kids talking about a sale they got on climbing shoes there, you know, hmm. which is, like, the ultimate thing that you can't buy online. Oh, yeah, totally. They make no sense. <laughs> the sizing makes no sense. You know, like how everyone wants them to fit differently. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a whole group of, uh, you know, 20 somethings that were in there talking about the, the deal they got. So, and as far as, uh, so Eastern Mountain Sports, they have their own line of clothing. I know I've gotten um, down jackets from, from EMS in the past. Um, do they still do. Um, uh, their own sort of branded clothing gear that they have in the. I know that they had a lot in the past. I haven't been uh, keeping an eye on things as much because I've I've sort of got my gear dialed in at this point. So it's like every couple of years I'll start looking around again. But I haven't really looked at the win- the winter gear was where I I relied on EMS quite a bit. Yeah, they're still making gear, and probably a lot of the stuff like from ten years ago that you remember is like hanging around still in like in updated you know, form. I joke like the first rain jacket I ever bought, like the first real raincoat, you know, they're still making it, <laughs> you know, it's a lot nicer than the one I bought now, yeah. but yeah, exactly. Um, so I want to get into some of the specific topics and articles that you've written, but before we do get into that, um, this is a search and rescue themed podcast so i wanted to see if either one of you had ever had any sort of close calls or stories that you could share with us where you might have had to call like 911 to get rescued or you were involved in a rescue and on the mountain and i guess doug I'll, I'll go with you first see if you had any close calls out there in the last i don't know few years we have participated i know i know the one i'm thinking of right now i was with tim uh when a climber uh, in a different party fell near us and we participated in a fairly uh, serious rescue uh, of that climber. 
um, that that's the one that's sort of stuck and Im- imprinted on my memory bank, and I'm sure Tim's as well uh, over at Echo Crag in Franconia Notch. Yeah, we were also there for one at Farley. Yes, in Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah, it's always unfortunate. So climbing, though, it's a, that's a whole different story because uh, logistically, you know, it's it's tough enough to get in a couple of miles and in, in with a litter, but a lot of times you can't even get in with a litter in the climbing situation, right? Well, there's a cache up at Eagle, right? Where you guys were for that? No, <laughs> I, there is a cache. It it was empty that day. Oh, geez. Okay. It, it was pretty frustrating. We we really needed a backboard. Um, and there was no backboard in the cache and it created some real delay mm. in getting the person to the road. Yeah. That's unfortunate. But yeah, the car- the carrying is an adventure. Like, Oh yeah. I can imagine. Um, but nothing, uh, nothing, either one of you have gotten into yourselves. It's just been in proximity to, to rescue situations. Yeah, I mean, we've. I mean, I'm sure we've done plenty of dumb stuff. We've just got lucky. <laughs> exactly. Well, when you're, I think I would assume when you're a guide, like you're. I feel the same way, even though I'm not on search and rescue or anything. But because of this podcast, I'm always thinking like I can't show my face anywhere if I ever had to get rescued. <laughs> I'll tell you one of the nice things. Um, so both Doug and I work together at EMS, and that's how we met. Um, I think EMS in general and our store in particular was just rife with like mentors, right? So there, like, there's a lot of people getting you dialed in, um, you know? So like uh, all of those mistakes that people make, like we were just, we were just lucky that we had been told like, you know, don't do this, don't do that, have this, have that. Um, and I, I don't know if EMS still does it, but we used to get free lessons, you know? So like, uh, like learning to rock climb was a lot less of a hurdle because you could just go to the climbing school and take a lesson for free. You know, if you wanted to learn how to paddle, you just had to sign up for a class and you'd have like a, a great paddler show you how to paddle. <laughs> so it just, it's like, it's a cheat, it was a cheat code, you know, like it, it just shortcutted like a, a big part of that learning curve. Yeah. And yeah. The- Plus you also have, a, you know, you've got a, a built-in group of people to go with. That's half the battle with hiking a lot of the time. That, it's like, how exactly. can you get somebody to go? And they were sort of exactly. self-selected in a way that everybody in the group was prepared for any situation that you might encounter, uh, which is not always the case in sort of groups you see out on the trail. Or at least groups that I see. Yeah, and pe- yeah, people are vetted in the hiring process. Like at that time, I I think they were. It's just easier to hire people. So the people who got hired, you know, were like pretty experienced. They'd done a Knowles course or an Outward Bound course, or were really passionate, had a lot of experience before getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was awesome. It was it was great. Uh, like Doug, like a lot of the people that I met in like those first three years are still the people I climb with, I hike with, I ski with. Nice. Well, I um I did want to get into um a bit of a deep dive on some of the articles. So again, like if I look at so when I look at the articles that you guys have written together, like you know this hiking, skiing, gear articles, mountain biking, dogs, and you've got some trail etiquette and sort of opinion topics as well. So I pulled out sort of the ones that I thought that Stomp and I would would be able to uh, you know contribute to and we wanted to sort of get your 
your take on it. So I think, Doug, just starting with you, um, specific to some of the hiking articles that you've done. Um, so you you both you you wrote an article highlighting the terrifying twenty five list, which I've completed that list, and you know you guys did a good summary of sort of highlighting you know some of the challenges of that those particular trails. But can you talk a little bit about your experiences with the terrifying twenty five, and and you know maybe summarize what you what you put in the article? Uh, sure. I mean, my experience with the terrifying 25, I think is pretty funny. I, I climbed a lot of those as my first hikes in the white mountains, not knowing any better. Um, so just running through the list, I can think of, uh, the slides on tripyramids. That was one of my first trips. And then, uh, it's going up. Great first hike. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was terrible. Uh, going up the ladders on Willie yeah. was another trip. And on that one, uh, I had <laughs> one friend who was like a rabbit and the other who was like a turtle. And I had to uh, sort of run back and forth between them the whole day be- so they wouldn't kill each other. <laughs> uh, and it, so this is, you know, and then another trip, one of my early trips was up uh, whatever the ridge is up the Wildcats. Um, just a, just a miserable uh, what I thought at the time, miserable trip. And sort of was wondering, are, are they really all this challenging? And it, it turns out, no, that there's a lot easier ways. And that, that's some of the information that we, I think we try to share with some of our articles. Mm-hmm. Um, like nowadays, I often tell people on Wildcat, why don't you take the ski slope down? Um, <laughs> which makes for a nice descent. So Doug, listening to you talk, I think like just going back to what Tim said is, it sounds to me like, you know, there's a benefit when you guys got together, like there was a lot of experienced people, but it also means that you're getting thrown right into the deep end on hikes. <laughs> and, you know, the, so the, the, the tolerance level for hard hikes is like pretty, pretty significant, even for the new people. So that's funny that you, um, the tri-pyramids and Wildcat Ridge, you got thrown right into those. Yep. I thought it was funny when we were talking about the, the Terrifier 25, it's like how much stuff just like, when you start, when Doug and I have written something like 200 articles. So like you just start doing stuff and you do like a lot of stuff and like just how many of the terrifying 25, we just sort of had like knocked off in the process of doing other stuff. <laughs> hmm. You know, like the Osseo trail, I think we went up on, uh, that was like part of a PEMI, like our, a PEMI loop. Um, uh, a whole bunch of them. The Willie's slide, I forget. Doug and I tried to hike the 48 in 48 days. And I think we banged out like 20 of those tw- terrifying 25 over that. <laughs> right. You're just, you're just doing whatever you can to loop as many mountains together. And you're like, that trail going to suck. But whatever. Yeah. So does driving back up here tomorrow. So. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And I do love the terrifying 25. And th- those those hikes to me i remember when i was doing the 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 52 with a view and the 4000 footers like i could get people to come with me and when i would start planning out the terrifying 25 list it was always a situation where it was like i i felt like guilty to bring anybody along for those hikes because they were so you know intense so it's 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 a great list um 
but I think that it's well served for you to, if you are going to explore that list, like just sort of accept the fact that like you really want to be comfortable doing solo hikes because you start dragging people out <laughs> on those trails sometimes and then you're, you're going to lose friends. You could. Yeah, for sure. Like literally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and then um, there's a couple of other articles that you did. You did one on the Kilkenny Ridge hike, which to me is one of my favorite hikes in the whites. Yeah, Doug almost killed me on that one. <laughs> he did, yeah. <laughs> so no, you go. did this. You did this um, north to south. So I did it. Um, I started south and went north. You guys did this the opposite direction, right? Yes, we we did north to south, um, and it. it it's interesting because there's lots of camping going north to south, uh, but the water runs out really after Unknown Pond, uh, and it made an interesting experience on that second day. <laughs> yeah, and I was thinking about that too. When I read the article, Like my thought was like, okay, these guys went in the opposite direction, and the thing I like about going in the opposite direction, I think if you listen to this and you're thinking about doing a Kilkenny Traverse, um, and you should because it's one of the greatest hikes in the whites, in my opinion. Going starting from the north gives you a lot of better camping options, and it gives you some bailout options. Where starting south and going north, like you're just basically you committed that first day, like there's no getting out at that point. So, but you're right, like the water situation, like you, you could get some water in the weeks, but that's a long haul from Unknown Pond. Right. Yeah, we like, mm-hmm. eventually, I remember we, I was so thankful. We like stumbled across like a pretty good trickle and I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's a stream in a, so when you, when you do the Kilkenny Ridge Traverse, so if we were going, if you're going to start in the north, obviously like you'll go through um, Rogers Ledge and. You know, you get to Unknown Pond, you got plenty of options. You go through Cabot and the Horn and the Bulge. But once you leave Cabot to get to Wombat, that is like the the sort of no man's land where, and it's a great area, but there's not a lot of water. There is a little bit of a stream in Willard Notch, but depending on what time of the year, that may be dry. Yeah, we, we did walk by a stream at the bottom of Cabot. And it was pretty early in the day, and it was down below the trail, and we could hear it. And I remember being with Tim and being, but the two of us thinking like, oh, it's such a hassle to go get that water right now. There'll be some water in a few minutes <laughs> or in an hour and the bottles are full right now. Uh, you know, yeah. time kept passing before we finally found the trickle that Tim was talking about. I thought it was like a faucet, just this <laughs> wonderful cold water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the another article that that I pulled out here was a Prezi Traverse. So um, everybody does presidential traverses. This time of the year is like the big time of the year to do it. Uh, but can you talk, Tim, a little bit about sort of your view on Prezi Traverse directionally? What what direction do you prefer? Do you have any thoughts around you know single day versus camping? Can can you give some advice to the listeners? I, yeah, I love the presidential traverse, and it's yeah. a reason it's popular is because it's it's awesome, right? You're above treeline for like all the most spectacular mountains in the whites. Um, I like, I've only ever done it north to south. I like going north to south. I like getting all the elevation sort of out of the way. And basically, I, it's not true, but you sort of feel like you're going downhill. 
<laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, I like doing it in a day. I, it's funny for someone who's worked at EMS for a long time. I'm like a lukewarm camper. So I'd rather just suffer in a carrier white pack okay. and sleep in my bed the next day, maybe get nice. a beer in town. Um, <laughs> uh, and like, uh, then that other nice thing about going north to south is like, you don't really have to carry a ton of water. Like Doug and I are like big fans, especially like when the huts are open, you start with like a half liter, a three quarter liter, you know, fill up at Madison and then you don't have to fill up that that much because you can get water. And if you're like me, a Coca-Cola at Mount Washington, and that will like carry you through. Um, I've done it now a couple of times in the winter where camping is definitely uh, like a little bit better option, at least for me. I don't not yep. fast enough with a short day. <laughs> um, you also don't have to, you know, traipse all the way underneath the tree line. So you don't have to tack on a bunch extra mileage to camp. So. And when you're planning out a traverse, a Prezi traverse to you, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of at the point where I've done enough hiking where I'm, I might, I used to be like, all right, I want to get out there and I'll risk the weather. But now I'm just like, I've done enough where I'm just like, I'm not going to risk the weather. I'll change it up because I'm not hunting after a list. Doug and I are super particular, especially like on a presidential traverse of just, uh, just waiting for the right day because it's just, it's so much more enjoyable. Like, it's just not fun to be up there uh, when it's super cold or super windy, you know, and it's a it's a pain to bail. So if there's thunder, like, you know, you're you're probably walking on a road for a while if you have to duck down and call it. So we're we're real particular. I think that's actually like one of like the trends in our writing is like the like to just have like a long successful time in the whites is really just about picking your spots you know like we always joke that a lot of days we go up there with two plans right and we get up there and it's like oh the weather's good this is a mount washington day oh the weather is bad let's you know do something you know below tree line or something that's not as tall so here's a hypothetical you're at crawford notch it's midnight you have to do a 20-mile presidential overnight, and there's thunderstorms, hail forecast for the night. What do you do? Oh, I probably just wait till morning. <laughs> uh, I mean, Doug and I have like a pretty good history of just like when things aren't right, just bagging it, you know. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, it's funny because like we were talking about writing. I think. Doug and I wrote about uh, the, like the winter lion's head on Mount Washington. Yeah, and like you know, we pitched it in December, and I think like in February we're like, any day now they're going to open the lion head, and Doug and I will go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that whole thing's a, a sort of a reference to the lodge to dodge, and we were watching the weather like a hawk. And at midnight, you know, the the trend was clearing, but there was that risk of a passing thunderstorm. Uh, It worked out, you know, thankfully perfectly for the the power hikers. But, uh, yeah, you got to be careful up there. Yeah. And then, Tim, you touched on this a little bit, but sort of the heavy versus light. And we've talked about this a lot on the on the podcast, but, like, my view has always been, like, I'm I'm heavy and slow in the winter just because the – the risk is greater. And then I do tend to on my day hikes in the summer, like I'll go light and, 
you know, I'll, I'll try to move fast. But can you talk a little bit about your your strategy as far as uh, heavy versus light? Yeah, I think this is like another uh, one of the underrated things that Doug and I do. We're uh, we're pretty good about coordinating. Uh, Doug and I do a lot of hiking together because we write together and a lot of climbing. So, you know, like you can go a little heavy if you just like you. We don't carry two first aid kits, right? I make Doug carry it. <laughs> there, there's going to be a theme here. Each one of these things is going to be. I make All Doug right. carry it. There's All a lot right. of well, Doug, so so before he gets into this, Doug. So everyone, I know that like hiker hiker friends like to play pranks on each other. So Tim strikes me as the guy that slips the rocks into your backpack when you're not looking. You know. No, I depend on Doug too much. <laughs> Plus, he's carrying enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. This is really so you guys funny. will split. Yeah. We'll we'll split. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think I think it's something that everyone sort of has to figure out for themselves. And I I would be remiss to say I have all the answers because I still am like constantly tinkering with my pack, right? Like. I didn't use this last time. I didn't use this the last three times. Maybe it comes out. Or I was kind of cold. Maybe, like, I need to put, uh, you know, another puffy or a wind shirt or a hat. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, everyone's a little different. Uh, Doug and I are built different. You know, we carry different layers. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I guess it's... I guess, like, if I was on the presidential traverse, I probably err on the side of carrying a little bit more stuff because it just weirds me out a little bit. But like, I oh, went yeah. today and did like Welch Dicky, which I've done like a bajillion times. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I went, I, I went pretty light, you know, like, like, like I like my first aid kit with some climbing tape. You know, I had a puffy coat and a wind shirt and some sunglasses, and. uh yeah, with some water in a bar. So yeah. yeah, yeah, that's my neighborhood, and you should come by and say hi. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and do you have um? Do you have a couple of pieces of gear that's like for? And I would say for hiking because the climbing stuff I'm I'm clueless about. But as far as your hiking gear, um, do you have like a couple of pieces like a backpack or anything else that you would that that you're really in love with right now? Uh, like. I think Doug and I will both uh, attest. We like love the Black Diamond Speed backpacks. I think each, each, both of us have like three or four in different sizes and configurations. Um, it's just like a good no frills backpack. Um, I'm like really. How many liters? Uh, I like I have a 22 and a 28, which I use a lot. Yeah. Um, and then Doug, you have like a twenty-two, a thirty, and a fifty, or something like that. I have a twenty-two, a thirty, a fifty, and I really want a forty, um, because I think like <laughs> that's like the ideal guiding size pack, and it's just the one that I don't have. But I, I use that pack or one of those packs hmm. every time I'm out in the the mountains, unless I'm trail running. I, I also think it's kind of funny because Doug and I do so much stuff together, like our kits like we might have like a little bit different but it's all the same stuff like we, it's like we find something we like and you're like i kind of like that i'm gonna buy that you know so like i like i'm like really keen on like the arcteryx uh alpha sl which is like a super super light puffy 
And I bought one after like a year and a half of just like cursing Doug every time he pulled it out of his pack, you know. And then I finally was like, enough is enough. I'm buying one. <laughs> no, these Black Diamond packs, these are the ones that are, um, so I have a, um ultimate like fast pack, which has like the, it, it has the, the, you know, the soft water bottle pockets in the front. It's black, basically this is Black Diamond's version of that, that model, the fast packs. They're like, uh, they're just like an Alpine pack. It's basically just like a tube with a hood. Okay. It's like, it's like the least fancy backpack, but they're good and they work. Um, and they, they hold up cause it's not like, you know, there's no mesh pockets to get like Torin. There's like three buckles. There's not a lot of buckles to step on or crack. Got it. And then, um, Doug, do you guys carry any gadgets? What do you use for like watches, GPS, and any safety gear for gadgets? So I am not a gadget person. Um, for me, I used to be pretty big into the watches, and I've I've dropped that. I for all my navigation, I'm using Gaia on the phone to the extent I need navigation. Uh, but otherwise, I'm yep. pretty gadget less. That's a rare thing nowadays, Tim. You must be the, you. One of you must be a gadget guy. I uh, I've had like the same Sun Two Ambit Three for like nine years, and I love it. And I just bought a Garmin Phoenix Six. I've had it one day, and I'm very confused. But <laughs> I'm so used to what all the buttons did on my old watch, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, those they have had such good deals on the Phoenix. Like you had to pull the trigger. I did have to pull been... the trigger, and it's like a lot has happened in since I bought my Ambit Three because uh, it's so much freaking nicer. Yeah, yeah. Well, you get used to the Garmin. It takes a yeah. while, but you'll get used to it. I joke that I had a friend who worked for Sun Two, and he like when the Ambit came out, he's like, "This is the last sports watch you'll ever have to buy. It's awesome." And like a year later, he's like, "So they're coming out with a two, <laughs> you know? but it's the last one. It's so much better than the first one." Yeah. So I bought the two, and like a year later, he's like, "All right, hear me out. We have a three. The battery's better." So I bought the three. <laughs> and I bought the six. I'm already a generation behind on the Garmin because they're on seven now. <laughs> yeah, of course, I know. <laughs> um, so just moving on to um, so moving off of the, the gear stuff and moving on to some of the articles that you had around trail etiquette and in and safety. So Tim, you guys wrote a couple of articles about dogs. Um, can you talk a little bit about like, are you a longtime dog owner? Can you talk a little bit about like hiking with dogs? Cause we, we've been meaning to do a sort of a, a dog show and we've done a couple of shows on like dog rescues, but we haven't done anything around strategy for like, how do you get a dog into hiking and how do you manage the, the whole process of like the dog being on the trail on leash, off leash. Can, can you talk yeah, a little bit uh, about that? Yeah. Uh, geez, I don't know. I haven't had a dog a super long time six years maybe i've had uh my dog and we intentionally got a dog we have a uh we have two australian shepherds actually so pretty hardy pretty athletic Yikes. dogs um but and we you know so they're they're hiking dogs they like to hike you know um but even that we half the reason we started writing about the 52 with the view is like for me i just wanted to start slow right i wanted my dog to like hiking 
I also didn't want to get rescued <laughs> or have to rescue my dog or have someone come rescue me and my dog. Um, so we started with the 52 with a view. They're pretty, most of them are pretty short. You know, we started with the shorter ones and, and built up. And because, uh, you know, it's like hiking with someone who doesn't know what they're doing on the terrifying 25, right? So you, when you're out with your dog, like, you're not just responsible for you, you're responsible for your dog, right? And your dog can't even use words. So, you know, we used all those short hikes to find out, like, what they were capable of, how much food they ate, you know? <laughs> Does anything, like, are they going to run after something? How do they hike? You know, how do they interact with all the other people on the trails? Um, so it was a real learning process, and I would definitely encourage everyone to, you know, take it slow, you know, and I think this is the same, like Doug and I joke a lot about people because we're just as bad. Like Doug and I joke on Mount Washington, how many times we've seen people just like miserable, right? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, you don't hike and you came out to hike Mount Washington, which right. it, it makes sense. It's, it's cool. It's the biggest mountain in the Northeast. And, but like, it's like how much more fun would you would have had if you went and hiked this like Mount Major, right? It's beautiful <laughs> and you wouldn't be wrecked. That's <laughs> yeah, true. So, exactly. so like I, I, we sort of took that approach with our dog. Um, and in fairness, uh, we've done a bunch of 4,000 footers with them now, but uh, we haven't worked our way all the way through because we've been like, starts and stops like so we hike a lot and then we stop and we start building up a lot and then i get into mountain biking and we don't hike that much <laughs> or uh, good um they're like lukewarm on hiking in the winter and uh since they don't love it we don't really force it upon them so mm -hmm. um you know so they also stop you know for three or four months in the winter so uh, but it's great. I, 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 there, I mean, my dog's an awesome hiking partner. Um, you know, but it's just, it's a different challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, um, uh, do you find that most people are pretty good about the dogs? Like, do you keep them on a leash or are they off leash? Uh, I keep my dog on a leash. He's like, he's, he's a rescue dog and, he, uh, the dog I primarily hike with and he's, he scares easy. So like if there was like a clap of thunder or something, he would just bolt. Um, so he's on a leash. Um, we also have like a little GPS for him just in case he does wrangle free. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, I, I generally like the idea of people hiking with their dogs on leash, which is an unpopular opinion um, because I don't know. I feel like I've met more people who have told me their dog is a very good dog while hiking. Well, the dog was doing something that was less than good. <laughs> yeah um like uh, doug how many sandwiches have you lost to dogs just one <laughs> just one sandwich but i was really looking forward to that one just one yeah <laughs> right, so, so you're 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 pro leash for hikers yeah yeah i just i i just think it's easier i think it eliminates a potential problem um, sure for for hiker I, for owner and for, for, for an owner yeah the parties I, i've also seen like a fair amount of people like at the trailhead being like have you seen my dog you know oh yeah and right. it and it's terrible it's sad it's terrible and 
Uh, I certainly don't want that to be me. And I don't know what you do. Like, I, you know, like you live in Massachusetts and Sunday you've been there for four hours, right? Like, yeah. So um, it just, I, I don't know, just keeping them on the tether. My dog is good on the leash. Sure. Uh, it, you know, it risks, I don't know, it just cuts down on the risk of him fleeing or missing. It keeps him in my sight all the time. So it keeps him from bothering other hikers. Um, and the tethers is, are pretty lengthy these days. The tether is pretty lengthy. Yeah, yeah. And I can cut it down when I need to. My tether has like a handle in the middle. So, yeah, you know, he can run far out in front of me when he wants. And when I need to keep him close by, I can, I can keep him close by. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, I think there's so many other things to worry about <laughs> that it just, it, you know, it just means it's like one less thing to worry about for me. Right. And I think, you know, and I do think it makes it just easier for other trail users. So, yeah. And yeah. I've seen like, I haven't seen too many like scenarios where people have been at the trailhead, like looking for their dog. I do know that that happens, but I have seen probably three or four scenarios i I helped a guy walk a a carry a dog out of chikora and then i've seen two or three dogs that were not looking in good shape and it's sort of like you know you want to say something but then it's not your business yeah and i do feel like the one benefit of i i would think having the dog on the leash is going to keep you maybe a little bit more connected to the dog's i guess condition during the hike versus if it's off the leash i guess and then, like, you also, like, another thing to think about is, like, tailoring the first aid kit um, for dog stuff. Um, so I for sure have, like, a harness that fits my dog that's, like, it's like a backpack, you know. So if for whatever reason he hurts his paw or he just gets tuckered out, I can at least carry him out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, this is, I'm going to make my wife listen to this segment and, and I'm lobbying her to get a dog, but she's not listening. So I'm always like talking about dogs. Let's dive into some White Mountains history, shall we? So Doug, just switching over, you guys have done a number of articles about White Mountain history, which is something that we've always talked about on the show. Um, and one of the articles that we wanted to highlight here was um, you had explored the abandoned part of the Crawford Path, which is, as best I can figure, the section <laughs> between Lake of the Clouds and into that whole junction of like spider web of trails that comes up to Crawford Path and the West Side Trail Cutover. So, can you talk a little bit about like how did you guys come up with the idea to do this article, and then how did you research it, and then what did you find when you get up there? Sure. So, we wrote the article in 2019 as part of uh, the 200th anniversary of the Crawford Path, and. Really, we were looking for just a little bit of a different angle on the celebration because there was a lot being written at the at the time. You know, just seemed like every day there was a new article about the Crawford Path. Um, so that that's where we came up with the idea was just to explore the history of the path and, in particular, um, the one incident uh, that prompted. Uh, the building of the shelter in this coal along the Crawford path. Uh, so we went, we went out, you know, to, we, we did some internet research before, which uh, 
the stuff that we found, I did not find particularly convincing. We sort of had a general vicinity on where we were going to look for this old shelter and sort of where the path went through there. Uh, but it really, we needed to uh, get out in the field. Um, we spent a long time standing on the top of Mount Monroe, sort of scoping everything out, uh, just sitting there looking for, okay, here's where the path ran. You can sort of see see the thread of it as it went through uh, and then closing in. Um, as we got over there, we did a fair amount of rock hopping through the terrain so we weren't stepping on any of the alpine uh, grasses and got over in there, found what we thought was the dirt patch where this hut was, uh, saw what we thought was the trail and uh, did really did the best we could at, at finding it. You want to add anything on that, Tim? That's one of my favorite things we had done in like a uh, recent time uh, because it's really interesting because as you stand up on top of Mount Monroe and you, and you sort of know what you're looking for, it's very clear. You can like see the old path, but as soon as you like hop down and you're down there, it all just disappears. <laughs> So uh, it was it was very interesting. Um, it it was a lot of fun, um, and that's a that was a place that I feel like Doug and I have spent a lot of time, and it was like a really like uh, fun to sort of like learn about this whole you know this whole history of this place that we've just walked across, you know. Yeah, and that is such a like I can't like. You know, going. I always end up like I, I remember last year. I like got on the Tuckerman crossover, and I needed to go to Bootspur, and I had to like rock hop over to the Camel Trail when I could have just like kept going. And like, it's like a it's like a spider web over there of like confusing trails. So it is it is sort of tricky. But um, I can only imagine how it must have been when they were building these trails up above treeline, and like, how do they decide like where where are you going to go? It's a really great point, both about the spider web and the location. When you're looking at it from Monroe, the trail itself makes sense. It's relatively uh, moderate grade, um, easy to follow, uh, but it's not at all protected. Um, and that, that's a big benefit of the, the more modern route that goes through Lake of the Clouds and then up sort of the southwest side of this, the summit cone there. It's just a much more, at least until you're on the cone, a much more protected alternative. Yeah, the original route was chosen because it, it was for horses, wasn't right. it, if I remember, Doug? No, yeah. yeah, three years ago. Would make sense. So what, so the original route, it, when you're on top of Monroe, you see it because it's, it, it's just like where the grade is the least steep. Right. And it's kind of wide. <laughs> Yeah, it is interesting. And the other thing, and you guys didn't cover this in the article, but there is, I've read some history around the Crawford Path, and I think as they were building it down below, sort of, and it, I am assuming that it's got to be somewhere near the Mizpah Cutoff, is uh, they built, originally they built a like a very primitive lean-to cabin in that area somewhere. That's It's no longer in existence, but what they used to do is it would be a, Sort of like let's get the let's get the tourist up to this lean-to, 
get them there overnight and then do the push to the summit because it was I don't think that they had a wide path I think it was sort of like a couple of the you know Crawford family sort of knew where to go but they were you know it had to have been very narrow to cut through there and it would be interesting to see if you could ever find any relics of of that that lean to or that cabin that they built there originally but I think it's it's got to be completely gone by this point you know Doug and I have done like a fair amount of like these historical hikes and it's it always is amazing like how much stuff is just sort of like laying in plain sight you know like people just walk by uh we had done like one on like uh hiking the old railroad beds and you're just like oh yeah there's like a lantern you know just like a rusty lantern just you know behind a rock or it's 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 really funny for how much traffic you know some of these places get how much stuff is still sort of sitting there yeah i've i've run across a few weird things in the past (laughs) as well but um the other thing i did have in my notes here is on the other side of mount washington by the halfway house there is a another section of trail where the auto road used to go and i think it deviates now off to uh, up towards Nelson Craig, but I think Stomp, you did a you did a similar exercise to what Tim and Doug did around finding an abandoned trail on that side, right? That is correct. To quote Johnny Depp or Amber Heard yeah. in trial, that is correct. Oh God, you had to get that in, didn't you? Yeah. So my wife and I were on Mount Adams, and just like you guys noticed from Monroe, the clarity of the trail, we saw right off the bat the old carriage road that deviates off of the auto road from the four mile mark up to the five, five and a half mile mark. And, um, I, yeah, I got obsessed with it. So I went up one day and, um, just after where the old four mile house was, you can still see the foundation of the, the original hotel there. Just a, a hair past that there's uh, a junction that leads up to what they now use today for the snow cats in the winter. It's the original carriage road. So as you're, making your way up this 20 foot wide you know carriage road you see all those found objects on the sides like you see the old um you know steel wiring that used to boundary the road itself and uh it eventually pops out like like i said like around five five and a half but it's absolutely fascinating this untouched bit of history there uh it's so cool um and it's it they're so prominent when you're far away, but when you're in it, it's like, where am I going next? You know? Yeah. It's super cool. A lot of history on that mountain. Yeah, there is. And then the other article that I picked out here, um, and I guess Tim, maybe if you could talk about this is the ghost town traverse. I had never heard of this before, uh, but I want to, I want to try to do this at some point. But can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I actually think this was uh, this is like one of Doug's pet projects for a long time. I don't I want to step on him, but uh, we had gotten uh, we had just gotten interested in writing about the ghost towns because there's like a surprising amount of ghost towns, um, you know. And a lot of the like a lot of the first ones we did were short hikes. You know, it's like a half mile or a mile. Uh, the best one is like right out of your car. So Doug has started scheming, you know, a way to to link them all because I can't have anything easy. <laughs> <laughs> so Doug, how do you go about linking all these things, all these towns? It was surprisingly easy. 
to link them up. Um, they're all linked in this case by old, uh, old railroad beds or, or that are now trails, right? Logging railroads that ran into the White Mountains. Um, and so we were able to uh, start over, over in Zealand. Uh, we took the easy way at first, driving up the road uh, to the end of the road. And then we just started hiking in on the old railroad bit, our old railroad bed, um, and just continued right through. It's a nice, easy hike, a nice flat grade, because they were running so many trains through there. Uh, and it, for me, it was a wonderful hike because I don't spend too much time in there, um, at least in sort of the non-mountainous terrain. And we went right through. Uh, by Whitewall Mountain, which was really neat. And then from there, continued along the old Zealand Railroad, railroad bed, uh, branching off, I think, near Shoal Pond, where you connect uh, with another, with the branch of the link, the railroads coming out of Lincoln, right? So that's the, the second railroad system there. Uh, we wove our way over to sort of the backside of Carrigan, climbed up the Desolation Trail there, uh, to the summit of Carrigan, and then worked our way down and joined the the third distinct railroad system, or defunct railroad system, I guess is a better way of saying it, uh, for the, the Sawyer River Railroad, and the walked down to uh, the ghost town of Livermore, where we'd left Tim's car. Yeah, I think that, Doug, you brought something up too that was really cool about it, was we just didn't see anybody out there, which is like another, like, uh, passion project of Doug and I's. Like, you know, if you go to Franconia Ridge, you'll, you know, you'll make 2,000 best friends. But there's still like, and everyone talks about how busy the whites have gotten. There's still a lot of places where there just aren't that many people. You know, like, Absolutely. until we started descending Kerrigan, uh, we didn't see like anybody out there. We saw like three people. Are the original, uh, original ghosts still there? We didn't. We're fortunate not to uh, not to rent any ghosts. Doug, it wasn't that trip, but the trip before Doug had a Doug had like a great harvest of uh, the old apple trees. He like we like finished, and he like filled his pack. Really, <laughs> so great. that's so cool. Yeah, down at Livermore, really? there's all these old. There's this whole entire orchard that, if you're tall enough, and there, I mean, the trees are pretty tall now. But if you can get up there, there's like all these old historic mm -hmm. apples that have very different tastes than you're <laughs> used to for the modern apple. A little sour. Um, wow. Hmm. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. And Livermore is so cool. Um, and I always yes. wonder, like, and I don't know what the camping rules are, so nobody come at me. But I did. I have, I have always thought like it would be super cool to just like you know go there maybe on like halloween night and just do do like a, a backpacking trip or something i know tim you don't like to do the backpacking stuff but i i always thought that that would be cool you know uh i'm gonna lose the name of it i think it's thornton um right off a of tripoli road like one of the one of the first campsites off tripoli road like almost backs up against the ghost town really yeah yeah hmm. so if you like drive up tripoli road from exit 31 like it's like the first campsite on your right you you have to walk through it to get down to to the first to thornton 
Interesting. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. I think the um it's inter- the like these towns that all sprouted up around the logging and um sort of fell apart. It's like I, I think logging is and you guys sort of summarize this at the end of this particular article around like logging was uh you know, it's a, an interesting history where I think the clear cutting and the damage that happened to the forest was gave people the leverage to do the conservation efforts that they needed to do. So, you know, these ghost towns where they were, you know, they were very important at the time from a logging perspective. Uh, but it is good that they they kind of <laughs> went by the wayside because it started the conservation efforts that, that needed to be done to protect the White Mountains. And then I think the last article that we had here, and I don't know, Doug or Tim, which who was point on this one, but the early days of the Mount Washington Observatory. I didn't know this. I did not realize that um, there was, I think it, the way I read the article, it was like a six or seven, a six month period where they were, there was a, a group of, of men that actually stayed on the summit for you know, doing web weather observations. I think it was like in the 1870s, but they, they spent like almost five or six months there. So can you talk a little bit about how that, that article came to be? Yeah, that that's like one of my favorite articles in hindsight. <laughs> and it's like, it perfectly encapsul- encapsulates Doug and I's uh, writing style because it's, it's something we've talked about a lot. Um, it's a place that we spent a lot of time on Mount Washington. Um, it was Joshua Huntington, who Huntington Ravine is named after is the, the, one of the primary players in it. And uh, I, we, we wanted to write about it. It's a cool story. So I started it, and I wrote, and I wrote, and I wrote, and I wrote. And then I was like, hey, Doug, I think I have like 10,000 words. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it's your problem. <laughs> So how did you rein him in, Doug? I'm not sure I remember. Uh, it, it was such a, <laughs> I think their winter over on the, on the summit of Mount Washington, which was really the, the sort of the theme of the article, uh, was one of just these fascinating experiences and how sort of the question that we really struggled with, both Tim and then me, was how do you share that experience in I don't know how many words our piece ended up like 1500 or 2000 um, just with so much going yeah, on in the terrible weather um, and taking uh, weather observations every day or multiple times a day and just experiencing things that to that point sort of general society had no clue about, right? There was concern that these guys would just, die from some fantastic thing uh let alone the weather yeah exactly like they could get some tooth ailment and then they're stuck up there and you know that happened back then so it could be it could be anything but i also the thing i find fascinating is like we live in such a luxury where you know for us normal it's normal to for us to be able to expect that we're going to have some alone time I can't imagine that they had any level of alone time up there in those conditions in such a small, compact area that they were in for for that long. Uh, were, were they in the hilltop house? Now I'd have to go back and look. It was either that or the summit house. They were. I mean, yeah, they're sharing like a ten by ten room. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's not uh, not very luxurious. So, but it's it's impressive that they did that. Now it's like a great place for us to have a coke and a hot dog halfway through our hike. <laughs> 
I still say I like I had a piece of my first presidential traverse. I had a piece of pizza on Mount Washington, and it saved me. Oh yeah, I was it's like the best. I was rugged, nice, and I had a nice coke chili and a piece dog. Of pizza. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the it's, chili dog would have saved me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that probably would have put you in more trouble. No, it's the the funny memory that I have is uh, hitting Cannon one day with uh, Nick Grillo, and uh, when we got to the top, I think he had like a whoopie pie and a chili dog or something like that. It's just so funny. <laughs> like, oh, I was holy. I was really hot on bologna sandwiches <laughs> as my hiking food for a while, which repulsed Doug. <laughs> he would he would buy oh man it's too funny he'd buy the cheapest bologna possible and then the nicest bread it made no sense it'd be like you know <laughs> and nice cheese uh, too. Good, good bread good cheese and yeah just oscar meyer <laughs> <laughs> well, you never have to risk getting your food stolen from you i guess which is nice the dogs even went after Doug's sandwich, not mine, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So now, what do you both, lo- um, I guess, Doug, just to start with, what are you most looking forward to this summer? And then do you have any advice for the listeners on something cool that you like in the White Mountains that might be unique to do? Well, I'll start with your last point first, because we, we talked a little bit about this, but I would encourage everybody to go visit livermore uh it's so accessible um it's literally a i don't know 50 yard walk from your car at the most uh and Mm -hmm. i've noticed when tim and i do things sort of one of the one of the biggest things is sort of who goes back first um to whatever we've done and that was one where the next weekend i was back there uh with my family like exploring this whole place again uh so that that's sort of one place I'd encourage everybody to go the Livermore ghost town in terms of what I'm excited about this summer. Uh, it, there's a fair amount of climbing sort of stuff that I'm excited about, but you know, one of the big things is just going out and running a presidential traverse running. Yes. Trail running. Nice. I'm jealous. Yeah. I may be doing the same. I, I got to get one on. I got to get one in this summer too. I'm firmly in the power hiking category now, out of necessity. <laughs> I get so jealous seeing all these people running. I'm like, oh damn, wish I could do that. Yeah. And um, Tim, what about you? Um, do you get any big plans this summer? And then, do you have any any advice on an awesome thing that that people can do uh, in and around the White Mountains? Um. You know, actually, one of the things Doug and I are kind of psyched on doing is uh, something I learned about on your podcast. It's the uh, Skyline Loop. Ah, Waterville. Yeah, which yeah, which I'd never heard of before. And it, this sounds like uh, such a cool way to to do like a a bunch of stuff we've sort of done before. But are you thinking about doing it all at once or breaking it up? I'm, I'm a two day person on that. That's yeah, too much that's for me like what thirty three <laughs> miles, if I remember correctly, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Unless Doug just wants to go run it all, and then he can tell me how it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good for uh, Waterville. Looks like a ch- good challenge. It, yeah, it looks so cool. Um, so I'm really psyched on that. Uh, for people, uh, my advice is just, I think I just look around because like, it seems that everyone is attracted to the same like 50 things. And there's like hundreds of good things to do in the whites and around the whites. Um <laughs> And I feel like, you know, we, we keep 
turning them up and uh it's it's just it's such a it's such a unique region and there's just so much to do um so why limit yourself to the same 50 things or 48 things everyone else is doing yeah right <laughs> yeah yeah and that live more idea so like i didn't even think of that like uh, because i do get that question a lot like people that are like oh, i'm gonna be up in north conway with the kids what is there to do and i'm like well you know and you hear like cathedral ledge diana's bath blah 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 and i'll always tell them like you know, I, I will tell people, like, oh, go up the square ledge across from Pinkham Notch. It's a little mo- bit more unique, or I'll, I'll send them to a couple of different other places. But Livermore is a great idea because the kids love that stuff, you know, and it's a history lesson, so it's educational. So that one I'm going to add to my list. Yeah, you also have a, a beautiful uh, swimming spot just up the road a little further up. Um, I forget the name of it. I want to call it... Maybe it's paradise, maybe not, whatever. You have to climb down 100 feet, and then you get beautiful basins. You have incredible fishing, uh, cliff jumps and everything. Jimmy Chaga talked about that many episodes ago, but there's so much to do on that road. Yeah, no, it's it's great. And Tim and Doug, thank you so much for joining us. Um, anything you want to plug? Eastern Mountain Sports, Go East, any, anything? Did they give you anything to, to plug here? No, but we definitely appreciate people reading our articles. Like. <laughs> Yeah, that's excellent. I, I just have a question or two before we close with you guys. So in terms of the creative process, um, you know, Mike and I run this podcast, which is a creative endeavor, and we talk about the same <laughs> topics. How do you two operate? How do you coordinate? How do you share tasks? What's your, you know, operating procedure? I think I think Doug and I are lucky now that almost in some capacity or another, we've worked together for like 20 years. So uh, we had like a working rapport before we started writing together and writing together was really natural because we did almost everything outdoors together. So, you know, um, and then I think it just falls down to like what our strengths are, right, Doug? Like sometimes Doug just writes an article and sometimes I just write an article. Doug's not writing mountain biking articles and I'm not writing running articles, you know? And then there's, <laughs> and then like, you know, when we write like our alpha guide, yeah. which so it like, goes back and forth. There's like, I'm going to call it fluff. There's fluff at the top and fluff at the bottom and a bunch of like really precise directions. I'm the fluff and Doug's the precision. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's great. And then I, I just think a lot of it's just a lot of it's like whoever is not crazy busy <laughs> gets whatever it needs to get done done. Yeah, sounds similar, right, Mike? <laughs> it is. It, it's interesting because like we never. <laughs> I think in my real, like, not, I don't want to say this is in real work, but like my real job, like, I'm very much sort of program management, like, let's put together a project plan, who's responsible for what. And it's never, with the podcast, it's never been like that. It's always just been sort of organic and like at a very high level, like, you know, I'm doing the script piece of it, Stomp's doing the audio editing, and I'm doing more of the tech stuff. But like the ideas around, like, okay, let's get this guest or let's cover this topic. Like we have, we just have like a text that we 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 text each other like articles or ideas back and forth over the course of a week, and then that just becomes the basis for the script. And you know, we didn't plan it that way, but that's sort of just how 
things play out. So it's kind of interesting the, the the process on how that works. So I think it works when it doesn't when it's not work. Yeah, right? like when you're not working to make it work. It better not be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's easy enough to so. just you know chew the fat for a couple hours every week and whatever you know it's incidental doing the editing and script writing and stuff but if it became work that would be a bummer i think the other thing that really helps is both of us are pretty sort of low-key in our writing right so if tim writes something and i don't you know let's say i don't think it's what we want i'll change it and Normally he goes along and it's the same for me, right? If I write something and it's not quite what we're looking for, he just changes it. Uh, and we have like a 30 second conversation and then move on. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's a, it's a very easy process. Doug probably changes more than me. Is this your full-time gig or is this like a part-time thing? I, I'm a freelance writer. So everything is like a part-time thing. Uh, <laughs> but this is, this is like, this is for fun. Like, it, you know, like it's, gotcha. it's, I don't know when you're in the store, like when you work retail in an outdoor store, you're so connected to the outdoors. Like you're with, you yeah. work with people who are passionate about it. You deal with customers who are passionate about it or are passionate about learning about it. Uh, you know, I don't want to do that anymore, but like this is still like my connection to it. Well, that's all I had, Mike. So I guess we can move on to. And then for me, oh. this is, oh. <laughs> the conversation <laughs> continues. So much for uh, like five uh, yeah. G internet well, connection. I think, I think Doug's got a little bit of, bit of a delay. So yeah, totally. <laughs> Go ahead, Doug. Take it away. <laughs> I, I was just going to add. For me, it's also a it's a part time thing for uh, using Mike's sort of real job word. Uh, I'm a, I'm a lawyer, uh, full time. So this is, this is the fun work, um, getting to write about stuff that I've been doing for a long time. The sneaky, nice thing about it too, is, uh, it forces you to do stuff that you put off, right? Cause like doing the presidential traverse is fun and it's awesome, but it's also like a long day and it's like, <laughs> Hey, we could go do the presidential traverse or we could go like climb at Rumney. And, you know, I don't have to work that hard. I can talk, I can make Doug do all the work, you know, but like when you're like, oh, we have this article due about the presidential traverse, you just kind of like the kick in the pants, like, well, in the next month we have to do this. Yeah. And you know, that is like one of the unintended bonuses of like doing the, the podcast piece of it is that I noticed, hopefully my wife is not listening and she won't listen to the show, but I've noticed that like, she's much more like sometimes to get a, a free weekend day. And when I got three kids and there's a lot going on, like it's difficult. Right. And then she, she wouldn't always like be as supportive. And like, you know, I was always good about like telling her like, Hey, I'm going to go on this day, that day. But I feel like now that I do the podcast, she's much more like flexible for me. And I can say to her like, you know, I really got to get out there and hike. Just so I got some, something to talk about on the podcast and she's much more supportive of it. So if you want to get out and hike and you have like a busy life, like become a writer or do a podcast and you can get out here. It's true. Doug's wife is probably like the saint of our writing. <laughs> She's provided plenty of shuttles, uh, taken the kids to story time or whatever, and then come and pick us up at the end of the trail. 
nice. And do you do, do you do day trips or do you have a place up north that you can stay at that that allows you to not have to do like the long haul drives? There's no day trip or there's no overnights for me. A lot of time in the car. A lot of miles. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That's true. But um, you guys want to stick around. Stomp has a couple of other abandoned trails that we were going to get into here, um, I think, or I was going to put him on the spot to to um, give us abandoned trails. But I guess, Stomp, the question I have for you on this is, do we, like, and this comes back to sort of this gatekeeping um, discussion, but do we... You know, by by talking about these abandoned trails, are we not like are people not supposed to be on these? Or can you talk a little bit about like what what the deal is with the etiquette around abandoned trails? Uh, I guess <laughs> from the sites that I've looked at, um, they do come with warnings that um, there are penalties apparently for illegally maintaining closed hiking trails, um, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, the data that is presented is for historical and ap- academic reasons only, quote unquote. So I think it probably depends on the location and whether or not some of these trails may traverse private property and whatnot. Uh, for the most Got it. Yeah. For the most part, I think if you're um, bushwhacking and you come across one of these trails, you're fine, but you want to do your homework as to where they start and whether or not you're traversing some property that may have changed hands. Um, there are some great sites. I mean, what I'll reference here is the classic, which I've used for years now. It's franklinsites.com, uh, right slash lost hiking trails, which is a, a great go-to if you're interested in finding some of these old trails. And most of them are in the White Mountain National Forest. So generally, you do not have to worry about you know property issues and, and town rights and this and that. Uh, so that's okay. a great start. Have you done any of these uh, trails, Mike? Yourself? I've done a handful. Um, I mean, I'm I'm looking through. This is the first time I've seen it, so I'm sure that like I know um, like the Fire Wardens Trail. I'm looking at here, uh, although this is looks like a different one. But I'd have to go through. But I think you had the ones I wanted to ask you about was we talked about this a little bit last week. Like if if Lincoln Woods was shut down, then there is the old Osseo Trail where you can you can potentially get up to the the new Osseo Trail that way and then sort of cut down into Lincoln Woods or get back up into um, to Flume and then there's the Grand Traverse so can you talk a little bit about those two trails and I don't know Tim or Doug if you guys have any experience in either one of these two trails feel free to jump in I've done the Fire Warden Trail on Mount Hale it's very cool yeah yeah I love that trail it's uh a little bit of a tick tick uh, infested place, but I think yeah. I don't know if that's so much considered an. Oh, I guess it's not an official trail, right? It's just yeah. I, the access got funky with it. I thought at some point. Yeah, I'm not sure because there's like a. Um, I have not done the old Osseo Trail or the other one. Though. Okay, so the selections here that you have on this site in particular, you can view all the trails by location, by trail. And there are a few other additional links. So if you look under location, it divides it up by White Mountains or Grafton Notch, Lakes Region, White Mountains East, West, North, Chakora. I mean, it's pretty amazing. And then it divides it down into the peak itself. So if, for instance, you look at Tecumseh, you can find uh, some older trails which tap into the Grand Traverse. And if you look at... um, you know, the old Osseo, which taps into 
well back. You get all the information there. And it, they actually provide the original uh, early like 1950s, 1960s AMC maps. And they, they provide you a picture and they give you an idea of where the trail runs. So my two favorites that I always go back to are the old Osseo Trail. And basically what you're doing is you're um, parking across the way from Loon. And I think it's, what is it? Is it? It's Clearbrook Condominiums. Clearbrook, yes, yes, thank you, Clearbrook. So at Clearbrook, they they basically shut down the old the original Osseo, and there's a condominium complex there. But they've left three or four parking spots that you can park at, and then walk your way up to Wellback, and then that leads you to the original Osseo Trail, and it's a really neat way to go. Um, the Grand Traverse itself is we've talked about it before. It's a little clearer to follow, but this is basically a route that historically went from Welch or Dickey. There is a Welch component, which I've yet to flush out, but from Dickey, there's a pretty clear path all the way over to um, Mount Tecumseh via Foss and Green Mountain, which is, it, it's just an amazing thing. So, uh, no property restrictions that I'm aware of. And um, in prep for this little segment here, I've been doing research about this little route, this this ravine on the southwestern side of Mount Tecumseh, and it's Hazelton Brook. And sure enough, I'm looking through this list, and under Mount Tecumseh, there's an old trail for Hazelton Brook, and it's 3.9 miles. So, you know, I've been talking to Steve Mason about this one. It looked like this epic four-mile bushwhack, but now I'm thinking, oh, wow, it might be a lot easier with a trail there. <laughs> So, yeah, check it out. There's a lot of options. Yeah, and Stomp, I'm particularly interested in getting out to the old Osseo and exploring around that area, and I, I specifically want to get out there because there was the, the case of the young young boy that had um, been found deceased out there on Wheelback. Right. And I've always sort of been curious to get the lay of the land up there because it's a, it's a bit of a weird case. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of open questions about that. Uh, Pat- Patrick McCarthy is the name of the kid that was found dead. I think he was like a 12-year-old. And he was found pretty significantly up the mountain, which is an interesting scenario based on when it was. I think it happened in like the mid-2000s. And then also the fact that this is a young kid that was found like a mile or two away from where he had been lost. And he was up on a pretty significant elevation. Yeah. So I want to get out there with you and check that area. Mm, out. I'd, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to get a little deeper into those slides too. I was talking to Steve and he was telling me that the um, one of the major slides in that area where that boy was found apparently is very gravelly. And the last time that he and Gwen went up there, he was actually really nervous for the potential of a gravel landslide that's how loose it is up there with uh, this was like just out of the winter so it was wet and muddy but the uh, terrain in there is pretty intense yeah yeah so we've got a lot on our list so then again this this site that you had talked about is um, Franklin site so we'll post this in our show notes and there's a there's an insane amount of like old abandoned trails that are on this this site so you can really explore so I think if you're done with your four thousand footers and you're you're you know tracing the the White Mountain Guide and your twenty serifying twenty fives, this this is another one that you can you can dig into to just find some new areas to to mine in the White Mountains. Mm-hmm. So, um, Tim, Doug, we want to thank you so much for joining us. I don't know if there's anything else, Tim, that you got you you want to say before we wrap up. Yeah, thanks a lot. 
No, this was awesome. Uh, thank you guys for having us. It was, uh, it was a good time for sure. Good. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to be, I'm going to be bugging you with um, a couple of history topics. So we want to get you back on. And uh, I got a couple of ideas I'll, I'll reach out to you on. But um, please, please, this was fun. You All bet. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stump, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Only one hill! Here's Lieutenant James Nealon, New Hampshire Fishing Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.